You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Clear the aisles. The projectionist has smicha. I'm Avram Kivalevich. I'm here with Yitzchok Kolakowski. And we're joined today on our fourth episode. Yitzchok's daughter said we're jumping the shark <laughs> because the, we somehow are, are changing things a little bit. But I'm here with my very good friend, Mark Gottlieb, as well, who, when he heard about what we're doing, said, hey, can I come too? Can I get in the water? <laughs> so uh, as we say, we are here darshaning about old movies and vintage TV. Of course, there is one little Ascara which screen. So you have to start us off with your first pick for tonight. Well, it, 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 was, it, it was suggested by a YouTube channel that I like to watch called uh, The Dark Corners Reviews. Uh, actually comes out of England. And the movie is a, a British film that actually I first saw back when AMC, which is American Movie Classics, actually showed classic movies instead of just all the series that they make now um and so i i must have seen this i was a a child and i was interested in all kinds of stories about uh you know cryptids is i guess the term that we use now for these monsters unknown animals like the the loch ness monster and bigfoot and, and his cousin in the himalayas the yeti which is often said to be probably one of the more likely animals to exist from from the uh from legends and the um there were three movies made in the 1950s or four movies actually made in 1950s about uh the yeti and probably the best of the four that that uh <coughs> that i know of would be the british film from hammer pictures uh directed by val guest and that would be the abominable snowman or also known as the abominable snowman in the himalayas it was also one of three so it stars peter cushing who is in a lot of the the uh horror movies from hammer you know the the dracula and the frankenstein movies and so forth many others abraham van helsing (laughs) yeah in the dracula and And grand moff tarkin rabbi yitzchak right yeah that's that's right they even brought it for another generation (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and and they and they brought him back digitally for the uh, yes the, for, uh, uh, for the, uh, Rogue, Rogue One, I think. Yeah, yeah, for Rogue One. But they the uh, what's interesting about this movie is also one of three. Um, it's also one of the few Hammer horror films that is still in black and white. I think it was actually made after the Dracula and Frankenstein movies that were in color. But it was also one of three British movies, this uh, and the only one from Hammer, that American actor Forrest Tucker made before he was in F Troop, uh, which you know he's probably more famous for. He appeared in three uh, British science fiction horror type of films, uh, The Crawling Eye, also known as the Trollenberg Terror. All three of them had had multiple titles, as is pretty typical for. Uh, you know, movies that were released in, in different in different countries, they they'll have different titles. Uh, a lot of I, I, I have to say, the title you said before was the Abominable Snowman, but the American title was the Abominable <laughs> Snowman of the Himalayas. So that's the that's yeah. the backwards thing of it. Right. Um, this, this this YouTube channel I mentioned called Dark Corners, they have two uh, different kind of. Uh, 
approaches. One is the more B movies and one is more, uh, you know, movies that they admire. And this was actually more as a, presented as a film that they appreciate and admire, not as something that they're making a mockery of. And uh, it was it was distributed in America by 20th Century Fox, uh, by Warner Brothers in, in England, even though it was made by, produced by Hammer. And that, that same director, Val Guest, who directed this, also directed the Quatermass Experiment, which is one of the more science fiction uh, Hammer films. Also, uh, I think a year earlier, and it made, there were actually several sequels to that. So yes, I'm guessing, again, you know, that Peter Cushing and Forrest Tucker are both involved in trying to capture or find this abominable snowman, this Yeti, right? That's... That's, I assume, is the di- dynamic much. aspect yeah. of the plot, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a very serious film. It, it's a very realistic type of film uh, that, uh, you know, they go on this, on this trip and, they're, you know, you don't see the monster ever. You, at one point, you kind of see its hand, you know, grabbing into the, uh, grabbing into the, uh, the tent where they're staying. But other than that, you, don't, you never see the monster. It's presented as opposed to some of these other movies where, where the monsters were, were presented and didn't look really good. This one is it's more of a very, very gritty, realistic type of movie, which I, I, I didn't really appreciate as a child because I always wanted to see the monster. And now, you know, as, as an adult... So, so it, is it more like a procedural of what it means to set up a, a base camp to try to find something? Is it about the, the, the give and take between, you know, Forrest Tucker and Peter Cushing? Like, what, what is the... What would you say is the... If it's not if it's not fighting the Yeti or capturing him, what is the main dramatic aspect of the film that so, uh, you know, caused you to be interested in it and why you can recommend it? And, and I guess I got wrong. At the end, you do actually see a number okay. of monsters. Um, were shown like in the 1970s, like, uh, you know, Peter Graves and, and Leonard Nimoy would do In Search Of and they would talk about the, the real life aspects of these stories. This is presented almost like a, a you know a true to life aspect you have the their uh you know they meet the the sherpas and the and the hindu priests and so forth and they're presenting you know uh, one one so, aspect it's like so they show I they see. show a skull cap that is supposedly made from a yeti and then they do tests on it and find out that it was actually goat hair or yak hair or something like that so so it's almost like it's it's got a, it's got details that give it a certain realism it has certain right it's it's like a documentary but yeah, it's, it's also not, it's, it's not a documentary but it's like a documentary it's not it's not even like one of these mockumentaries that, that you find now it's it's just a very gritty and realistic approach and, and look we we know we know peter cushing is as as, as as mark said that you know he's known for all his horror roles He's sort of like him, Christopher Lee. I don't know. You have a whole bunch of these guys that are in some Ghanaian somewhere scaring each other, you know? I mean, I'm sure they're all having a good time. Him, Christopher Lee, and Lugosi and Karloff are saying, sit down. You don't deserve to be here, right? Wherever they are in their, in, in their just reward area. I think it's interesting that Forrest Tucker, I mean, Forrest Tucker, he, he's actually, he didn't have the good looks of a leading man, right? I mean, no, what was, no. what, what's his role there? I mean, you know, what 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 what's his purpose to play the American? He plays the American, yeah. He's, that's, so that's, so. In other words, I think let's put it on the table. Many of these English films 
were made with a certain highfalutin sense, but they knew they needed the American audience and we need a character to give them that POV, right? So Forrest Tucker, I would assume, is the American skeptic. Well, he's also more of the American uh, adventure seeker, you know. Oh, he's the not, adventure he's seeker. not the serious scientist. He's more the, you know, almost like, not quite Indiana Jones. It's not, it's not not quite there, but it's more, you know, someone, the adventurer. You know, I, I would say it's probably his most, it's probably his most prestigious role. I mean, again, the man... <laughs> Okay, the man basically ran around with Larry Storch. Sort of F-troop. Yeah, with Larry Storch. I mean, he and Larry... I met Larry Storch. Yes, I'm saying he and Larry Storch ended up doing this. You told me, this is an interesting thing, Mark. Larry make this giant hit Ghostbusters. He needed to buy the rights from, from, you know, uh, uh, from Tucker and Storch people who had made this bargain basement movie called (laughs) The the Ghostbusters. TV show, yeah, it was a TV show. Oh, TV show. A short-lived TV series where the two of them were, you know, solving. It was almost more like a uh, again, type of thing. Uh, you know, from F Troop, they, you've got a sort of thing that Forrest Tucker would be a great straight man. He's sort of like a straight man, but he's not like he was not, you know, just like a, a stone-faced straight man. He also had an angle, but obviously Storch was always like the more wilder one, and Tucker was more, I guess, the more intelligent one. Um, and Barry, who is the Barry? Was the captain who? Uh, yeah. Ken, ba- uh, Ken Barry. Ken Barry. Was it Ken yeah, Barry? Ken Barry. Right. Yeah, he yeah. just passed away. Ken Barry just passed away. He's such an yeah. a guy, Ken Barry. Yeah. Very yeah. adel. Yeah. Very adel. Actually, yeah. Larry Storch is all his own sign. He, yeah. he, he, he announced his his retirement, and right. he, he did something within New Jersey. He did a, a, his last public show, and he and at that show that he did. He was giving away uh, some some items from Ken Berry's estate that that uh, his family had given him. That's so. Ken Berry didn't make it out there, but it was. <laughs> you know, in, in F Troop, of course, Ken Berry was the Tommen. You know, in other words, right. there's always I, I I always teach my students whenever I talk about film that there's always a character who comes into this situation as the newbie, as the new person who represents the audience, and in that way, you know, Ken Berry comes to this, uh, you know, to this very. Um, a corrupt sort of fort where every every single Ganevisha shtick is going on, and and he's that's what the song is about. Even it's about you know he was this great hero that yes. that was the reward. Right, but, right, right, right. Again, the theme song tells you he wasn't really a hero, but they thought he was, and he ends up getting this assignment. But I'm saying here's my point, guys. Ken Berry is like such an three a, dances with wolves. He's the Adela guy, Ken Berry, the Adela, the Adela Klutz. Who comes in over there and and right. really F Troop had a lot of a lot of gishmak, a lot of gishmak. I don't know. Again, For, Forrest Tucker had another show. I don't know if you know about this one, Dusty's Trail. You ever see this? I have not seen it. I, I guess. Dusty's, Dusty's Trail is basically Gilligan's Island uh, in the Old West. That's okay. basically what it is, and and it has Bob Denver as as Dusty. Is that so? Bob and, Denver, wow. And Forrest Tucker is is the, he plays the Alan Hale the character. Yeah. He's the he's the Alan Hale guy. Yeah, Alan Hale. Yeah, yeah. very sim- You're right, Tucker. Yeah, Forrest Tucker is sort of like Alan Hale in a certain way. He All is. right, there's a similarity there. Yes, yes, there definitely is. Forrest so as as Rabbi Yitzhak was was describing this classic film and the actors, of course, I had to consult my trusty IMDb, which yeah. I'm sure every every film lover has at, at at their fingertips yeah and i noticed that another actor uh robert um robert brown 
plays this, I guess, minor character of Yitzchak. You might, Ed Shelley, I don't know, Edward Shelley, but it's Robert Brown of James Bond fame. It's M in the late, the, the mid 70s to late 80s Bond films. He was M. I see. It's right, like yeah. a very hush of thing. Yeah. Look, you know what? The truth is the English had a stable of, of stage actors and wonderful actors. They could, I, could, I could, could take the American actors 10 times to Sunday, right? In other words, their ability to give over an idea, to speak eloquently, uh, to, to bring in drama. Uh, England was full of these, right? And, and many of them were just struggling to, to find some sort of job. Um, and, and, you know, you can see them on programs like the prisoner the avengers all these english you know eventually the 60s these guys got work to do you know in, in england all right let's go on i think I, i'm going to do my uh, uh suggestion um there's no connection really at all to the abominable snowman uh, satisfy a person's rom-com uh desire we know rom-coms are almost like the the, the classic uh date movie everybody wants to see rom-coms and 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 we know again without getting preachy about it most of the rom-coms of today are are, you really are somewhat objectionable and also extremely predictable right there's certain right and and the ones that aren't are really raunchy and crazy okay this was a rom-com before there really was things because in the 30s and 40s there were screwball comedies which were not really rom-coms um, What's Up Doc, for example, is an example of a screwball comedy updated. A rom-com is really a story of a romance that has humor in it, that has interesting characters in it, and that you're basically, you become transported to, to want to be like that couple, and you get connected with them. And this one is called The Clock from 1945, Vincent Minnelli. Um, it's, again, remember, Judy Garland is the star. Vincent Minnelli ends up, of course, uh, you know, Judy Garland is, that's Vincent Minnelli is Judy Garland's second husband. She was married, I believe, first to some other guy. And then she got married to Vincent Minnelli. Vincent Minnelli, of course, directed her in Meet Me in St. Louis, and he was very much uh, uh, enamored of her. Judy Garland was not Rita Hayworth. She was not the most beautiful woman that was dead, uh, you know, gorgeous, but she was so wholesome. She was America's sweetheart in many ways. And remember, in 1939, Judy Garland was uh, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. This is only six years later that she's playing an adult woman, a young woman in her 20s in New York. And like a lot of women in New York at that time, people were coming into New York and being shipped out. Soldiers who had trained in various bases throughout the country were coming back from Europe and there was exchange and movement. New York was the center of of, as we know from the classic On the Town, full of uh, sailors and soldiers. And this is the story of Judy Garland playing uh, a girl from the, from, from, uh, uh, from the sticks who has moved to New York and is very excited as a secretary and she thinks it's still a great place. And she meets a, a soldier, the most doe-eyed clueless soldier you would you could think of in the big city and that is played by uh, robert walker now robert walker you might know mark and and yitzchuk was had the role of a lifetime in strangers on a train hitchcock's incredible psychological uh thriller that uh, 
is based, of course, on on the uh, on the on the novella. Right. Patricia Heitzman's uh, *Strange on Train* was adapted by Hitchcock, and Robert Walker played Bruno, one of the one of the best Hitchcock villains ever. The truth is, Robert Walker was a person who suffered from clinical depression. He was uh, again, he attempted suicide. He had a very uh, he was married to Jennifer Jones. He was he was uh, and she had been uh, unfaithful to him. In this film, he plays the most, as I said, the most innocent of soldiers from Indiana who doesn't know what's going on. He's in the big city. He he leaves Penn Station, which, of course, was all constructed on a soundstage. Vincent Minnelli wasn't able to move into, because it was still World War II, they weren't able, as I spoke about last week, they weren't able to film on location anywhere. He created on the lot the Penn Station. <laughs> it looks a lot better than our Penn Station, but it, it has similarities. He, obviously, he was using pictures, and and and, and Minnelli, of course, started as as a photographer, a set designer, and and many people have said that Minnelli was into beauty over art because his films are so luscious, they're so beautiful, and this film is in such beautiful black and white. You can see Penn Station and this soldier. He walks up. And I, of course, Mark, we've done this so often. It's like you too, gone up that escalator and then you go into and you're on 7th Avenue and you see the buildings and you can see the Empire State Building. And, and, and Robert Walker goes up those steps. He goes up and, he, and he's just overwhelmed. What's he supposed to do? He's here for two days. He doesn't know what to do. And, 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 every, and, and people are, are not cruel, but people are, 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 are just passing him by. He's lost until he goes back into Penn Station and he sits down and Judy Garland trips over him and she breaks her heel. And from there, you, again, we've seen this all, but this was the movie that started it. The heel breaks. They try to find a shoe place that's Sunday that's closing already. They knock on the door. He gets her heel fixed. And Judy Garland realizes that this soldier is, is, is a person who's caring, a person who's an innocent, a person that she can take care of. Up until now, she's been sort of the girl from the sticks. Now she can be motherly and help take care of him. And the film doesn't even give you their names and their last names until very, very far into the film. Uh, and it talks about this whirlwind 48 hours that they have together. It's a, an incredible snapshot of what life was like as World War II was ending. And it's also really about, again, there's an underside to this, which is there was almost a, 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 an aspect uh, that women needed to service the soldiers. And that is sort of hinted at, that the girls that, that these soldiers picked up, and it's considered also terrible, but it was very well known that that's what the soldiers wanted. The soldiers were going out to die, possibly, and the women could give them something. And the film really, you know, in, in a way is realistic in the sense that it, it deals with this point and it makes clear that it isn't just, I want to give this guy a one night stand, but they actually fall in love in Central Park. One of the, the best part of the film, there's two parts of the film that I want to really stress that I thought are really great. One of them is um, the, um, they, they end up meeting uh, in the park and it becomes so late that there's no more buses left. And they end up, both of them, what are they supposed to do? You know, take a taxi. It's a lot of money. A milk truck comes by. And it's look, Mark, I don't know if you know this character actor, but he was so 
Jackson, who was a well-known character actor in the 20s and 30s and 40s. He was sort of a sinewy older fellow that was very, very uh, well-loved. His wife plays his wife in this film, and they, he is the milkman who takes this young couple supposedly home. But when they stop and some accident occurs and he's not able to finish his milk run, Judy Garland and, and Robert Walker end up all staying up all night delivering the milk to all New York's denizens. And you get to see even some African-Americans and some other people here um, and, um, and, and people delivering the papers. And here, here they are going to people's homes with the milk that they're delivering. It was so cute and, and wonderful uh, the way they, they were into it and so natural. Afterwards, Gleason takes them home to his wife and of course, there's an assumption that they are romantically involved and they're a couple and, and they see the model of an old married couple having breakfast. And, and again, Minnelli is able to make it seem so seamlessly as they're, as they're arguing and quibbling like old married couples do. And they are able to see a model of a life that they could have. Maybe not a life of riches, but a life of simcha, a life of happiness. And, and, and it, it's sort of like, uh, it's a concentrated compression of of happiness that they're able to have after this incredible romantic night to see what life together uh, could be the other part of the film that i thought was really great was once they decide to get married of course there's the red tape you need the blood test and you have to wait the 72 hours and the only way that could work is if you can get it not the way send there is to get the dispensation from the judge and again minnelli packs the film with actual actors and, and and how he was able to recreate these offices is incredible but so what they need is a dispensation from the judge the judge is jaime schwartz is the name of the judge right <laughs> jaime schwartz is the judge it says judge jaime schwartz i don't it, it was it was played by an actor called ej ballantyne i i don't think he was Jewish, but you could tell he has this Jewish mannerism that, you know, okay, you get it by four o'clock, okay, then I can do it. And of course, they get there, and it's like one minute to four, and he's in the, he's in the um, elevator, and he's with his son Irving or something, who's with him. And, um, and, and, and Robert Walker comes back and grabs him and says, no, no, it's not yet four o'clock, and we worked so hard to get the papers, we have the dispensation, we have the blood that's went to a private lab. He says, okay, so Jaime goes over there and like, you know, take off my hair, like he's like, like, you know, he, he says it over like a Hasidish Hazar Sashats. He gives them, he gives them the complete uh, thing about, and, and then they're married. You know, uh, again, he shows the Rahmanus of Ayid. He understands that he wants to, he says, okay, I'm going to catch a different train. He tells Irving to find a different train for him. But it leaves them, you know, the New York efficiency that the Jews were involved in the judges they were the ones who were running the secular aspect of the city but then they walk the streets and she says you know i love you but i feel so ugly it was so ugly the ceremony and they notice right after that that there's a saint patrick's cathedral and a couple is coming out getting rice thrown on them so they walk into the cathedral and they sit at a pew and they read the vows to each other slowly with with ava you know, after what, they're already married, but they sit there and read the vows to each other. And again, it was very, 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 very uh, moving in that way. Judy Garland, it, you could see how Minnelli loved her and he tries to make her so beautiful and loving uh, as a person. And, and, and it, it makes sense that she should actually decide to marry him, even though 
you know, they have their romantic nights and how they does that. I, I don't want to spoil that. How they are able to show that. But then as he's leaving for the base off to Europe, um, they talk about this courage of what it is to send someone back. And there's a wonderful scene with a bunch of people saying goodbye, African-Americans saying goodbye to their children and others, a whole tableau that Minelli shows you of, of, of what it was like to go to war and to leave and, 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 and to that moment when we're all at the train station about to go. And, um, and this courage that it took. And you can see Judy Garland's strength as she says goodbye to this man that she's only known for 48 hours, she's consummated the marriage with, and she walks out of, uh, uh, of the station with such courage and strength and belief, and Minelli pans out, and you can see that it's a, a station full of tens and tens of thousands of people just like that. It's really a film that is, when people speak about Minelli's great films, they don't mention it. I think it's really a, a great rom-com, nothing objectionable, and really, you could really uh, it makes you want to believe in romance and 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 finding your zivid really instead. Okay, that's my one. Mark, I wonder. I, wa- I wonder how many of my uh, couples I've married. Uh, <laughs> I'm so disappointed Uh-oh. that you're married. By <laughs> you said you're like the Jaime Schwartz. Yitzchak. Yitzchak is Yitzchak's other career is to do marriages. He does marriages of all religions, all types, all over the tri-state area. I would say the not the tri-state, the quad-state area, right? You're Pennsylvania, Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey, right? Yeah, I don't like I don't do many in Connecticut, but I do. Uh, I see, and I have one booked in in Massachusetts. Uh, I see. Nothing stops you, Yitzchak. Have truck, will travel. Um, Mark, you're our guest for tonight. What do you, what's your uh, what's your uh, pick? Well, my pick is the 1981 Academy Award winning film *Chariots of Fire*, uh, directed by Hugh Hudson, who later went on to direct that flop called Greystoke, uh, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, with Christopher Lambert, pre-Highlander. Um, look, the film is is very powerful. Its score by Vangelis is, is memorable. One of those classic film scores that, that haunts you. I think it was uh, the height mark of the electric scoring. Yeah, the right. electric, electric electronic scoring. Electronic was, storage, but, it was, sure. but it was beautiful. It 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 had nuance and had richness and it, it didn't it didn't sound like electro pop in any way. It was it was very much high high art. Right, right. Uh, so, I think it's similar to Maurice Jarre's uh, Maurice score. Jarre's of witness, uh, of witness. Of witness. They're very similar. Yeah, Both very of those similar score, score. very similar. Yeah. In fact, it's easy to 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 mix those two composers up. Um you know, there's so much to comment on on this film from, you know, the characterization of these two great runners. The, the setting, of course, is the 1924 Paris Olympics uh, when the British team um, won it, many of the track and field events uh, under the, the leadership of, of two principal runners, uh, the Presbyterian evangelist, I guess, uh, Eric Little from Scotland. And the Jew, Harold Abrams. Uh, so those those two characters, we should spend a little time talking about those two characters. But it's interesting, Ramo, when you were very beautifully portraying the clock and the contrast between the judge, you know, Jaime, whatever his Jaime Schwartz, yeah. Jaime Schwartz, 
and and the scene at St. Patrick's Cathedral, that actually resonates very deeply with, I think, one of the central motifs in 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 this film, in, in Chariots of Fire, and that is Harold Abrams' incessant desire to be recognized as an equal, as a Jew, in an Edwardian England that didn't much care for Jews. Uh, certainly, social classes and and the high life of, of English, um, both nobility and, and public life, didn't really see the Jew as, as a true Englishman. And this is something that plagues Abrams throughout the film, uh, to the point where the film is actually bookended by his funeral ceremony in a church in London in 1978. Um, now, it, it, for many years, I, I was under the impression that Abrams actually converted to Christianity at some point, but I don't think that that is true. I think, I think he lived and died as a Jew, you know, a liberal, liberal Jew, uh, a Jew eth ethnically and, and culturally, but one who saw himself as an Englishman. Um, but there's no question that, that this Jew is not the most likable Jew, and this Jew is, is trying desperately to be accepted, whereas Eric Little, the, the Christian evangelist, is portrayed as, as such a hero of the spirit of, of a true principled uh, runner who will not run on, on the Sabbath, on the Sunday. Um, even you know, though he might, even, even though he's going even to forfeit his chance. Even the the right. that, I, I, I was forgetting it. Ian Holm, look, has Ian Holm been in anything when he wasn't great? Even, oh. even, even with Peter Sellers in, in, um, in, in the Pink Panther, he's Pink great. Panther. He, yeah. I think he, I think he plays, you know, his, his foil there. He is great. Ian Holm, yeah. Ian Holm can yeah. never do wrong. This was a great role. The Sam Musabini role is a great role, but yeah, yeah. you know, the, the Lord Lindsay role is this perfect, you know, aristocrat who doesn't have to work, but does it out of love and has the, you know, he's the one who, figures out how to solve this problem with little running on the, on, on the Sabbath. And he's the one who seems to always be the mediator between the different forces in the film that are, that need, you know, more direction. Um, so it, it's a sad, it's a lavishly, you know, the screen, both the screenplay, the, the cinematography, the score, as we mentioned, um, but it's these characters of little and Abrams that are just so, so rich and, and provocative, you know, you're really rooting, you're really rooting for little more than you are for Abrams, but you have to respect uh, Abrams as, yeah, as a very uh, determined, very uh, um, obsessively focused That's runner. the point, Mark. I, I saw the film, of course, when it came out, and, and the film actually has a very strong meaning for me, because every single time I would take my wife home for our, our dates, almost always Vangelis's Chariots of Fire was playing on the, you know, and I would, that was sort of was my theme song of this, this conquest of, 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 of you know, this dating conquest was the Chariots of Fire theme song. Yeah. Um, but when I saw the film, I was so upset at, 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 at the Abrams character um, because he, he, there was, and it was almost, you know, obviously I liked what I like the part when when they're singing the Gilbert and Sullivan. Gilbert and Sullivan. Uh, they're yeah. singing, you know, uh, which of course I am I, an Englishman. I am an Englishman, <laughs> and I I thought that was great. I, I liked the running around. The you know he would train by running, yeah. you know, in the in, in the hallways. 
but but because the fact that he was so one note that I'm going yes. to prove that you know and when I'm he loses a... remember the scene he loses he finally faces little in a hundred meter dash right and he right. loses he loses badly right and he he's like a baby he, he's, yes. he's he's so despondent is his girlfriend later a fiance and wife has to say you know grow up just grow right. up you know right. you lost so you'll beat him next time right but he, he winning meant so much to him that that all other perspective just was was lost to him and, and also the fact that he wanted acceptance I am a Jew, but you need to accept me. There was so little of trying to find what was Jewish spirituality. I remember when I saw the film, I was thinking, you know, anyone who sees this film thinks Jews are about getting ahead, making yeah. it, fighting. It's not a very flattering portrayal. I mean, one could almost, if one wanted to be uncharitable, I don't, I don't share this view, but one could say that it, it really cultivates anti-Semitism. I, I would say 100%. There's a scene where some of the high, the upper, higher uppers... Oh, uh, yeah. The, Sir John Gielgud and, and right. Benholm Elliott, are, yeah. they're the masters of Gonville and Keys and Trinity College, all the colleges. They're saying, oh, maybe they are the chosen people. Yes. And then, you know, but then they, they have... They're, they're very disdainful to him. Yes, they, dismissive. You know, and and he, he falls right into the trap, frankly. He, right. His his kind of churlishness and his his negativity and his his his, his desire to be right and to always get his way or or to have his pride intact really just doubles down on that unattractive quality right and and i i remember when when the film came out i knew some of these like sir john gilgood of course ian holm but i think hudson wanted to cast unknowns in, yeah, the two in, the two stars are are Ben Cross, who later went on to play Sarek in the star in the reboot of Star Trek, Spock's father. Um, and right, that's Charleston. a Jewish that's a Jewish role. Right? Yeah, that's a Jewish role, right? <laughs> that's a, you're Spock's yeah. father. You got ben, ben Cross is not Jewish. I don't. I, knew. I don't I, think he. No, I don't think. I don't he think is. he has any Jewish. Oh, well, maybe there was some Jewish blood there somewhere. But yeah. and then Ian Charleston was was Eric Liddell. Ian Charleston was one of the first. Um, British actors to die of AIDS. Um, he was gay himself uh, to his character that is just Jesus. not matched no, by anybody. A, in no, he's film. a Jesus-like figure. He's a Jesus yes, type. He's figure. a martyr for for the faith. And, you know, we have that very Musser, the Musser-like uh, sister Jenny. You know, she she doesn't want him to run. She wants him to deal only with the minute, with, you know, with the ministry, the ministry and the missionary work. And, yeah. and he has to say that I, I'm built God, God made me right. God, God made, made me run, and he feels my and you know he, I, I feel his pleasure when I run. Right, that's a great. I, again, when I saw the film, I was thinking, you know, the, the Eric Little character. He's the he is the spiritual. He's the, he's the real character of faith of right. of true religion that you admire and that you want to be like a, Harold Abrams. Maybe you admire his his perseverance, his his courage in the face of 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 prejudice, but he's not. He's not as attractive, not not even close. Right. And, like and almost like almost a, almost a one note character in, in my mind. I, I I I was thinking again. You know, when I think about films and Yitzhak, you know, I think you probably would agree. Films that win the Academy Award sometimes bask in glory, and then basically people forget about them. If they don't really, you know, like you know, films like Blade Runner and like Shawshank Redemption and other films, people will talk about for years and years. I appreciate, because I know you, Mark, and I know that this film 
you know, it, it, it lives it where you me, live. It, it hits a lot of the notes in my right. in my own conception of life and in my own right. but world I think, view. But, I think but it has ho- fallen on, on bad time. Yeah, I don't think people in Hollywood, it doesn't get on the best lists of all no, of the films. It, it's, it seems that it, it its approach to faith is, is not really appreciated. It is a good sports film. It's it's not it's a little talky. You know, there's there's a lot of dialogue and there's a lot of of exposition. Um, but it is also a great sports film in terms of what the ethic, you know, that that ethic of yeah. amateurism versus professionalism. The Americans represent this mechanical, like you know, shouting with the right. bullhorn. You know, go 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 go. Which is right. again very character, one, one you know, caricature. Yes. The Americans although, were car- although Dw- although um Ch- uh, Schultz um the runner Schultz writes little a note basically saying how much he admires him. Okay, and that he's a true like Kiddush Hashem as it were. Yeah, and and that's you know there's more subtlety there. Right, right. But the Americans Charlie Paddock is more the playboy or the. Yeah. Right. the, the I, it's know, almost Schultz. it's almost what we call, what do we call it now. Um, prestige t- tv that's sort right. of what it's like i i always wondered you know, when i saw the film and of course it has all these slow motion running on the beach stuff yep. and everything and of course you know is there training and that's why do, and of course it, it's it's done in great sunlight as if they are themselves the chariots of fire, chariots of fire now of sure. course that of course is is, is a remiss to what biblical you know coming down in the chariots and that somehow that these runners represent god's presence on this earth well, is that well what the real about? key is is the is the poem and the song that's sung at the end of the ceremony at the film's conclusion william blake's um poet poem jerusalem right did those feet in ancient times walk upon england's green this in other words was there jesus in in England, that, that there's we can bring divinity back into um, into the the beauty of England as opposed to the dark satanic mills, which represents you know everything that's wrong. Um, so, I think this is a great film for people who love sports. I think it's a great film for people of faith. Uh, it's a shame that the the person of faith is is not the Jew. Um, <laughs> But right. you know that that's okay too. We have a lot to to learn uh, from Eric Little in this film. Uh, I'll tell you one aspect, and you know we're gonna you know wrap up with this. You know one of the things I think is uh, is is that when I saw the film, Yitzhak, I don't know if you've seen it, but when I saw it, I was thinking, hmm, look how much sports has changed, and especially look at how England after that period went through. Although there was the courage they showed in World War II, but in terms of their dominance, in terms of their setting the tone for the world, in terms of morality, it was almost like the 1924 was the highlight of that. It's almost like that period was a period that after it didn't exist anymore. You know, the Americans weren't just the upstart anymore. The Americans, as World War II uh, showed, were were the dominant giant. And, And England became really inconsequential. And I think the film in, in some ways, I, I don't know if it's extolling what England used to be um, and maybe trying to, to, to indicate that Hollywood might be able uh, to produce that. But I think it was a, um, in, in many ways, sort of like a, um, it's, almost, it's almost like the, uh, the, the burial of, of England's greatness. English civilization, <laughs> of, the, of the British Empire. I think so. I think I think so. I think so in many ways. All the right. My, 
<laughs> All right. Well, I think that we've definitely uh, have three great uh, different really types of films. We've got horror, rom-com, sports, and spirituality. Um, and anyway, as I said, look, my friends, <laughs> watch your step on the way out. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 